Well, let's welcome you back here to Systematically Wild as Kevin Loco and I go through the Minnesota Wild organization, looking at as well at the Iowa Wild and the Iowa Heartlanders, who finally got underway this week, Kevin, uh, as Heartlanders got on the the ice surface down there at Extreme Arena for their first two games of the year. Wind up coming out 0-1-1, but that's a heck of a better start than what they were at last year. But So let's uh, just talk about overall weeks for the clubs out there. The, um, the Iowa Wild uh, split their two games, so they, they come away with their first victory of the season, giving their new head coach a, a win. And the NHL version of the club out there off to a, a bit of a solid start there. Um, I think kind of where you thought this team would be at early on in the year is their 2-2-1 two, two, and one through the first five games a year. So how are we feeling about the wild system right now, Kevin? You know, the way you started this show, the, how you said, well, that's kind of how I felt after <laughs> after this week of play within the, the organization because it was not a ton of positives to be had, but there were some. So we'll go over those as the show goes on. Yeah, it wasn't it, it wasn't a terrible week for everybody. You know, it's kind of one of those weeks where you just go, well, okay. Like you said, it's it's a well, all right. <laughs> it was okay. So let, let's begin down there with the heart with the Heartlanders there first. So they they get underway now. Saturday's game, um, to the team's credit, they were going to be the the Iowa football team was playing a two thirty game, and I'm. By the way that the press announcement came out, they uh, were going to have issues with a lot of the staff who would have been working Iowa Heartlanders games. And by the way it sounded, I was assuming mainly security and like ambulance services and things like that would not be available to them. So the club decided to open their their home opener, Kevin, was on a Thursday night, um, moving it uh, instead of being that Friday night when they were supposed to open up the season. So they moved Saturday's game to Thursday. Wasn't a particularly huge crowd. Uh, openly, we got to admit here, but uh, you know, the, the, it, it wasn't a, a terrible weekend for the Heartlanders, who are coming off of a very difficult start last season. So, when you come away with a, a point in the first couple of games, I'm not really thinking that's a disappointing start, even if it is your season openers at home. No, it could have been a lot worse. Um, it's not like they got blown off the ice in either game. Obviously, when you gain a point, you took somebody to overtime and they just got it to a off to a tough start on Thursday night allowing three goals in the first but they hung in it made it a game at three to two but just came up short well it, it's a uh, it's a different kind of lineup for this year Kevin and se- uh, second season now for their head coach as he got has the entire off season to build the club, didn't have to worry about um, the team, uh, you know, coming in at the last moment. He'd been an assistant, but he officially became the, you know, the the team's full time coach right before the season began, and had to, you know, had to, had his work cut out for him. So it, it was a bit of a, a struggle for him. But I thought, you know, the, the team, as you mentioned, give up those three goals early on and, and find themselves trailing, but didn't give up on those contests and. I, I like a team that is going to be battling through even when they don't have a particularly great night. So I, I think there's a lot to be positive about this club if you're a Heartlanders fan. 
I think so. I, I think you could just see it in the box score on Thursday night with Jesse Jocks, um getting both Heartlanders goals. Um, the guy that was just fresh out of college, out of UMD last season, scored four in 11 games for the Heartlanders last year, but now it's already had two goals in the first two games for the Heartlanders. Um, so, you know, it goes to show you sometimes you uh, you take a stab on a collegiate free agent and it pays off for you, and that's what we've seen so far out of um, Jesse Jacks. And, you know, maybe it um, turns into a chance to show his um, stuff with um, – Iowa Wild at some point. Well, let's look at this game, Kevin, because three goals by Rapid City in the first period as they out just totally dominate with an 18-7 shot advantage as well. And last year it was. It was that one period that was dooming the Heartlanders early on. And I understood. They started the season with Toledo, who was in Idaho. Idaho and Toledo right off the bat, two of the better teams in the league. Idaho finished with the best regular season record altogether. And but they were they were scoring three and four goals in the third period. I think in each one of those three games that they played in Coralvale to start out with. So if there's one spot I'm a little concerned about, it would it would be that that one stretch of 20 minutes where the team struggled. But man, I look at out shooting Rapid City 15 to four in the second, 15 or 14 to four in the third. I thought that they didn't get the offensive punch they needed to get themselves a little closer in this contest. But man, I like the defensive effort that the team didn't just, man, we're down three to one and we're going to, you know, kind of move on to tomorrow night or something like that. We're going to continue to battle out here and want to shut teams down defensively. And, and I, and I liked that. I, I thought that showed a lot of moxie for the club and gave Hunter Jones kind of a little time to settle in. So often you see a team go down three to one in the first, or even when they were down in the third period, you see the teams take um, unnecessary chances to try to tie the score up, and they lose track of the system in which they are supposed to be playing in. But we did not see that with the Heartlanders, as they had pretty much shut down the Rapid City rush the last couple periods. On Friday night, uh, back-and-forth contest. Rapid City had two one-goal advantages, scoring 9.45 into the contest. Pavel Novak wound up getting Novak, excuse me, wound up getting his first goal of the game to tie the score about four minutes later. Rapid City retook the lead 115 in the second, but this time Liam Coughlin comes up with his first goal of the year to tie the score about 14 minutes later. Iowa did take the lead 9.04 into the third when Novak scored his second goal of the game. But Jared Gorley winds up tying the contest at 13.42 of the third and delivers the game winner 120 into overtime as the rush come away with the victory. Uh, for Iowa, um, they get two goals out of Novak, as I mentioned, two assists out of Jock Jones, as Kevin was talking about, off to a very set fast start for this team. Got to see Peyton Jones, who also had 22 saves in this game, matching Hunter Jones from the previous night. Jones and Jones. How we like in the, the law firm goaltending matchup or combo right there. Keep it up to the Joneses. Peyton Jones, uh, someone I saw play quite a bit uh, when he was a goaltender for Penn State. So I think the story of the game was Pavel Novak, who is 
trying to find his form. He missed all of last year dealing with cancer, but he is cancer free now and he is is trying to get his legs under him and a good start for him getting a couple goals as I as I know his ultimate goal will be to try to be up with the Iowa Wild at some point once he feels like his game is back where it needs to be. And you love a story like that too, Kevin. Uh, you know, a guy that is battling something, you know, life-threatening off the ice and winds up coming back and having a huge performance in just his second game for the club. So, uh, man, you you, you got to love a story like that. And, and I think Heartlanders fans are really going to rally around this guy and hopefully Iowa Wild fans will be able to rally around him as well. So pretty exciting. So, Kevin, as we uh, we come away with this weekend, um, the Heartlanders find them, themselves at 0-1-1, but uh, not a terrible week for them, as we talked about. And the club will now have an interesting week ahead as they will head down to take on the Wichita Thunder, who had a very uh, – sorrowful start to their season against Kansas City over the first two games on uh, Friday and Saturday. And, you know, if I think you're a Heartlanders fan. They've played very well against Wichita. They've been great games in the two seasons that these teams have faced each other. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if this team came down there to, to Wichita, who's having a, a lot of trouble with a very young group of defensemen and was able to sneak, steal both of those games away. I, I could totally, for a team that didn't win their first road game until I'm like, number 22 or 23 last season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them sweep in Wichita. Well, we all know nothing good ever comes out of Wichita, so. (laughs) You're right. Absolutely right. Well, Kevin, how about if we jump up there to the big, uh, to the middle club, I guess we should say there with the Iowa Heartland, or Iowa Wild, I'm sorry. As they travel on to Manitoba on Friday, come away with a 4-2 to victory over the Moose. Then on Saturday, they're just racked 8-2 to in that contest. Um, I think you're happy about your first victory, but you, you, maybe you're a little less enthusiastic after that beating they took on Saturday. No doubt about it. I feel bad for, um, for Zane McIntyre. He's just had a really rough go of it. The... In his first two outings, get um, getting victimized by the Henderson Silver Knights in his first start, and now um, being on the wrong end of eight goals on Saturday night against the Manitoba Moose. So, but we all know he's a good goalie, and you know the the defense gets the job done in front of him. He'll be he'll be just fine. And I remember last season, you know, he was bouncing up and down early on in the year and got up to a very tough start for the Wild as well. But about, I think, once he consistently was back in the everyday lineup, or at least alternating with Jesper Volstead about halfway through the season, he had a, an impressive stretch starting in January, was really putting things together. So I don't think you're worried about Zane McIntyre. He got 15 goals in the first two games, but um, he, he's got the juice for sure. Uh, let's talk about the first victory of the too. I mean, that's brutal. Yes, you're you're absolutely right about that. Let's talk about the opening victory on on Friday, Kevin. Brett McLean earning his first win as head coach of the Iowa Wild as Iowa uh, winds up coming out of the first period trailing by the goals, but scored two in the second. Casey Dornbach with his first goal of the season 
Jake Lucini scores his second on the power play. Good to see the team come up with a power play goal in that con contest to wind up um, taking the lead. In the second, the Wild extend their lead to two when Adam Beckman scores a shorthanded goal. Uh, Lucini scores his second goal of the game late with an empty net tally to make it a 4-2 to two victory. So uh, they're getting some offensive production. Adam Beckman not only with the second goal of the season, Kevin, but added his second assist on that empty net tally. And um, you're, you're feeling like at least one or two of these lines could really put something together for this club. I think so. I, I don't think um, anybody's thinking there's any trouble with the depth up front. It's just a matter of guys playing in their own end. But there's an abundance of talent up front that, you know, the guys get rattled off with, Lucini and Letary and Beckman. I don't think we're going to see many stretches of this team going through offensive trouble. So it's... um. I'm trying to find the stats here. I'm not sure how they did on the power play, but I know that was something that did we have one any? for six. Okay. So they did get a power play goal at least, but I think that was the one thing I believe the Wild are looking to improve on from the first week of the season. Yeah, and it was too. It was shorthanded situations too where they really were beaten rather severely by um, Henderson in that first weekend. Did, did hold Manitoba to one, to one for eight on the power play between the both contests. Did get another power play goal on Saturday. So special teams looked better. But special teams were not the problem on Saturday, Kevin, as uh, it was a 1-1 game, 940 into the contest, when Letary scores his first goal of the season on the power play. And then the floodgates open as the Moose scores six unanswered goals, including four in the second period to take complete control of this game. Simon Johansson comes up with his second goal of the, game, of the season for the Iowa Wild. But uh, I, as you mentioned, 48 shots. Um, I don't care who your goaltender is. That's that's going to make for a tough night, and it sure was for the team. Yes, and it seemed like a lot of those were um, shots were of the dangerous variety, too. You know, as much as we had mentioned attendance issues in Coralville, they did bounce back and they did have 2,700 fans on Friday night. You know, Thursday night is going to be a tough drop, but the reason I mention that is because the crowds in Manitoba were putrid. And then the worst one being Saturday night, 1,881 fans. That is just, um, you know, for an area that's considered a hockey hotbed, that is just a, that is just a head scratcher of a turnout. Yeah, for an AHL team too, you know, not just a hot a hockey spot, but for um, an elite minor league like the AHL, you think you would draw them pretty well, and they, I know they got to be pretty disappointed in and that attendance there. And I'm trying to think, is, is Winnipeg Blue Bomber football going on still? I mean, can it, CFL playing right now? I should probably I think they're in the middle of the season, but, you know, the attendance problems have also spread to the Winnipeg Jets, whose last two home games they have not drawn more than 12,000 fans. So 
really got to wonder what's going on in Winnipeg, whether it's the economy, whether it's, um, I've heard downtown's not the most desirable place to be at night. I've heard fans not happy with the organization at this point. So I know I was watching highlights on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it nowadays of Iowa's goals and it almost sounded like it was a like a COVID era game with no crowd noise at all. So the Blue Bombers did play on Saturday. I'm just trying to see if I can what time that game was at here. So uh, let me see. It started to show me and then it disappeared. It looked like it was an afternoon game. I could be wrong about that. Their their Canadian Football League website is not. The, the nicest thing to try to work yourself through here. I'm, a, I'm criticizing you, CFL. I'm, I'm, I'm opening up right now. But there was a game that they wound up winning 45-25, to 25, so maybe there was a whole lot of people out of that game, I guess, and didn't didn't want to come out and watch some hockey afterwards. So that can be possible. Plus, they were facing Edmonton, which I'm sure was drawing quite a crowd as a heated rival there in the CFL. So, But as you mentioned, the the Jets not doing particularly well either. So, um, you know, Kevin, I, I I just feel like in some areas fans have just never embraced going back to the arena or or field or stadium or whatever sport you're talking about over the last three years. And, and this might just be an ongoing problem for a lot of teams going in the future is you're just not going to see huge crowds anymore. I think more so in Canada because Canada was just – as paranoid as we thought the U.S. was about everything that COVID-19 brought, I think Canada was just there's just a lot more people up there that are still living in fear. I mean, we even saw last year there were games here and there where they didn't allow fans. So it could be a thing where people are just scared to go out. And I, gosh, what a horrible way to live! And not to mention it doesn't do much for teams that are trying to make make a go of it by providing hockey entertainment and even more so with uh with the Winnipeg hockey scene they lost their junior hockey league team the Winnipeg Ice so there's no junior hockey team that's providing competition for fans anymore so the Winnipeg Ice did cut in the Manitoba's crowds a little bit, so you think that would turn around and you would see better numbers from the Moose after the Ice left for not sure what market they went to. I think it was somewhere in Washington. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, Kevin, that um, the one thing that worries me so far about the Wild because it's been the story the last couple of years. Okay. I, I, I get it. You don't make a big deal about four games into the season where you're, where you're at right now. But whenever I see the, the teams that they're kind of chasing are right around that. Rockford's played three games right now. Iowa's played four. Milwaukee's played two. I just worry about that because last year, you know, Iowa was in good position to earn playoff spots. They were like one or two points ahead of Rockford for a little while. But Rockford always had games in hand. He just felt like you know, t- same with a couple years ago was Texas that had games in hand. And you always feel like those teams, for some reason, they're going to wind up winning more of those games and jumping ahead of the Wild. So whenever I see the Wild are starting to play some more games and 
I, you know, I've played more games in Rockford or Milwaukee or Texas or wherever. I start to get a little, that, that creepy kind of feeling that deja vu is about to happen again. So you got to get these games early and, and the, the schedule does not get any easier for this club as they will welcome Chicago to town on Wednesday, then travel to Rockford where they dominated early in the season. And then the ice hogs took control of that series late in the year and then travel on to Milwaukee, which has been a house of horrors for them recently. So, um, you know, Chicago, Rockford, Milwaukee, that, that's a pretty tough week for the team. And also it'll, it'll be a pretty good test, and we'll know a lot more about this team by the time they get done with that three-game stretch. And, you know, right now we've only seen them play Manitoba and Henderson. We'll know a lot more about where they're going to fit in in the backing order in the division by the time they get this um, stretch of games done this week. What's your thought about Zane McIntyre? A guy who's proven over the last couple of years that he's an extremely dependable goaltender. But, I, I, you know, I wonder, 15 goals in the first two games is a lot. And if you're if, – if he had two more starts like this, does the club start looking somewhere? Or, or maybe there, maybe an injury is going on we just don't know about at this point. But wh- when do you become – a? when does your, okay, we're not really worried about it, start to become concerned? I I'm going to be honest. I didn't see any of the game on Saturday, so I don't know what the – goals were like that he let in. You know, if he's letting in shots from the point with no traffic in front of him, we got a problem. If he's misplaying the puck, which is causing turnovers, which is causing goals, we got a problem. But I just felt like when I saw him against Henderson, it was two of the goals were tip-ins. One was a power play goal, a pass Guys just standing around front open. There's a guy left alone on the back door on one of the goals. I felt like the goals he gave up, there was only one that he really wished he would have had back. The rest was D-zone coverage issues. So sometimes you'll see a goalie, though, he'll have a game or two like that where then he's feels like the defense isn't helping him, so he's trying to put that much more pressure on himself to – turn his game around and then starts doing stuff that he really shouldn't be doing. And then that just opens up another myriad of problems. So we'll see what um, the metal that McIntyre is made of in the next um, week or so here. And he's definitely proven he's a tough guy. Let's jump up to the big club, Kevin. 1-1-1 one, one, and one this week, 5-2 victory over Montreal. Um, then return home to lose 7-3 to Los Angeles and then drop a 5-4 game overtime loss to Columbus on Saturday at home. Uh, tomorrow they face Edmonton. But let's first of all talk about this right here. So big win in, in Montreal, and that was a, a big deal too because Marc-Andre Fleury potentially playing his last game in the NHL and in, in, in the city he grew up in there. So uh, a pretty big deal for them. But then came home and, I get, okay, I wasn't even kind of shocked by the loss to Los Angeles, but losing an overtime to Columbus, I was thinking, uh-oh. Um, what, what, did you, what did you think about the team this week? Monday was probably their most solid effort. They did take advantage of a Montreal team that was playing a pretty undisciplined game, and they managed to click on the power play, and the, I believe they also had a couple of shorthanded goals. So... 
nothing going five on five, which kind of was a foreboding thing as on Thursday just it was a good start. They're up two to one. LA ties the game at two. Then there's a goal that I think Flurry would have loved to have had back. Bounce between his legs. There was some talk to it that maybe it should not have been a goal as they feel like the Kings player did not get a stick on it after he had kicked it. And I feel like Flurry let that get to him. He turns over a puck in his own end and ends up in the back of his net. And the Wilder just, Russ and I are just trying to play catch up and just didn't get there. Said on Saturday night, you know, it's inexcusable. You have a Columbus team that played the night before coming in. And they got some offensive power, but there's no way you're giving up more than 50 shots to a team on your own home ice after they played the night before. It's, there's just no reason for it. And right now, much like with the Iowa Wild, I, the, the troubles on the blue line, it's just the guys just are not getting the job done. They're not getting the puck out of their own zone. They're not breaking out. The forwards are not coming back and helping. They're not doing much five-on-five five other than it's kind of scary that your best line may have been uh, been the Erickson Act, Marcus Johansson, Pat Maroon line, of all things. You know, you're talking about your best offensive line having Pat Maroon on it. That tells me that there's some lines that are just not clicking right now. So it's been a, it was, for a Wild fan, I'd say a very frustrating week. You know, looking at that, that Saturday night game against Columbus, if you're a an Iowa Wild fan, you got to love all the guys that are up on that lineup. That, that played for the team. You, you got Sammy Walker and Duhame and R- Rossi and Connor Dewar up there, and you got two defensemen in Kalen Addison and Dakota Mermis. And I thought, man, that, that you know that, that's pretty impressive development within your organization. But the flip side of that, especially on the defensive side, is that's two rookies. Um, Addison played a, quite a bit last season with the with the Minnesota Wild. I guess that's still a young guy up there who are trying to learn NHL hockey. And what that means is that while they're trying to learn that, two guys that would have been maybe potentially down with the Iowa Wild are not there. So you have two other young guys trying to learn AHL hockey. And, you know, I wonder if that kind of youth right now is is a bit of a challenge for both teams because you're, these guys are trying to get their, you know, get their feet wet and while the, the – challenge is, is pretty steep right now. Yes, anyone that feels like losing Jared Spurgeon wasn't a big deal, boy, how bad could they use him right now? And, you know, an Alex Galagoski, a proven pro, don't have him. Obviously, Matt Dumba left as a free agent. Say what you want about Dumba. He was one of my favorite players, but he's a guy that had experience, so you've gone from a blue line you never really had to worry much about to a blue line that's a work in progress. And now we're seeing that change even more because on Monday afternoon, the Wild called up Damon Hunt from Iowa, and I would assume that he'll either step in the lineup tomorrow night or he'll be the some assurance for when they go on the road for the next two games that they've got a 
seventh defenseman on the roster, but boy, um, I saw John Merrill have a couple plays where he looked like a pylon on the ice where you wonder maybe, maybe Merrill sits a game and Hunt gets a look. So, you know, Damon Hunt, not a lot of, you know, he had last season and a handful of games this year at the AHL level. Now he gets thrown into the to an NHL situation. So we'll see what kind of pairings they decide to go with for the upcoming games. Well, let's start on Monday. Duhame and, and Dewar get there, uh, put the team up 2 nothing with first period goals for Duhame. Dewey 1 and Dewey 2. Again. Well, I'm sorry? Dewey 1 and Dewey 2 is what they're called up here. <laughs> All right, well, there we go. Uh, Dewar with his first goal of the season, both Iowa Wild guys. Uh, but this was a, a, a game by the top line for the Wild, Erickson Eck with two goals. Um, you had three assists from Zuccarella, Kaprizov with a goal and two assists. Kaprizov off to an ungodly start over for this team right now, Kevin. He has looked unbelievable for this team, especially with his playmaking. I, I've been very impressed with that. So they got to feel pretty good about that. Marc-Andre Florida's first start of the season, 26 saves. It was a solid victory on a, and a tough place to play in Montreal. But a game he gets pumped up for, as he's, you know, it's his own, it's his hometown and he even got a standing ovation from the Canadians fans after he was named number one star of the game. But he wasn't tested much in the first two periods, but the third period he was, and he was up to the task. Uh, against Los Angeles a couple nights later at home, as Kevin mentioned, uh, the team was up 2-1 to one at one point, and then uh, kind of a bad goal turns against them. They give up four unanswered goals, including three at the end of the first period. Um, Flurry with a very tough night, 19 saves on, 20 saves, excuse me, on 25 shots. Uh, did get another goal from Connor Dewar, and both Erickson Eck and Kaprizov each had goals in that contest as well. But uh, clearly you you can't give up seven goals and expect you're going to win. This isn't that style of hockey anymore. So uh, very, very tough night for the team. I, I didn't, you know, the seven goals I was a little, you know, stressed out about, I guess, there. But, I, I you know, I, I don't think losing to Los Angeles on home ice is a terrible loss in any way. It's a very good Kings team last year. And so and I think they're a little bit better this year, to be honest with you, Kevin, except for goaltending. But keep in mind, better, keep but, in mind, two of those goals are empty nets. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of looking at this and thinking, this, you know, this wasn't a terrible loss for this team. Um, I guess really the only thing that you kind of take away as a sour part is Tam Talbot played pretty well in that contest for Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, not a terrible night for the team, I didn't really think, even though you lost on home ice. But we'll switch yeah. now to the Saturday night game, as Kevin mentioned, losing to Columbus at home in overtime. Um, a, a game where the Blue Jackets had a 2 nothing lead. Minnesota battles back with three unanswered goals to take the lead themselves, but then give up back-to-back goals again to Columbus, who take the lead for the second time of the contest. Marcus Johansson scores well, late in the third period to force overtime with a little less than three minutes left in the contest, and then um, Columbus with the victory a little over three minutes into the extra frame for Minnesota. Uh, Erickson Eck with two assists in the contest. Marone with two assists in the contest. Johansson with a goal and an assist. 
uh, and a goal and an assist for Dakota Mermis. had, I think that I believe that's his first two point game of his career, if I'm not mistaken, but I believe that's true. So, um, some solid individual performances, but a tough loss against Columbus, and that leaves the team at two two and one on the season, Kevin, as this week. Edmonton comes to town, then you travel to Philadelphia and Washington for back-to-back nights. So um, a tough road trip because New Jersey on Sunday as well. So a tough little trip out there in the Metropolitan Division. You know, Washington's not as tough as they've been in the past. So, you know, maybe there's a there's a chance there against the uh, Caps. You used to dread going out there when the Caps are in their prime, but Right now, they're not. And, you know, Philadelphia and the Wild have had some luck there. They do catch a break as Connor McDavid is going to be out for a week or two, so they will not face McDavid at home on Tuesday night. So there's a break, but what Edmonton still has their uh, uh, fair share of firepower. But, you know, Edmonton's also been giving up goals by the bushel load. I want to go back to that that overtime goal the Wild gave up. There was a case of Kaprizov and Zuccarello just way trying to be way too fancy overpassing and passing up shots on goal. They couldn't, couldn't get a goal. They were overextended on their shift, so they were dead tired, could not back check, and Jack Rosovic was pretty much able to cut right between those guys and get around Brock Faber for the game-winning goal. So just not a not a good way to lose, to lose a game. You know, Kevin, I, I want to come back to that for just a minute because I'm noticing this a lot in the ECHL as well, in, in watching games. And I, I get everybody wants to be a good teammate, okay? And, and I also get that you're looking to create the best possible scoring chance for your team. But, but I believe we talked like three seasons ago, or maybe, at least two seasons ago, about the fact that there is, there's just too much passing. You know, I, I mean, I watch a guy going in on a two-on-one on, on, an, on a goaltender, and the guy who's defending that, there's no way you're getting a pass through there. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's no way. Your only opportunity to create a scoring chance is to take a shot. Either you get, you know, Maybe you, you wind up hitting with a shot and getting a goal out of it, which is great. But if you don't, you're, you're hoping your guy gets the rebound opportunity. But they're looking to try to thread a pass that you know is not going to connect. And is that just European style to always look for the fancy pass and just not shoot? Because I, I why did guys stop deciding that shooting was a good idea? I think it's because the goalies are so good at getting out and cutting down the angles that guys aren't feeling confident in just trying to get one by the goalie and they're trying to make that extra pass so the other forward has an open net to shoot at. Well, I guess that's a that's a heck of an idea, but um, it's not working. <laughs> I, I You know... At the NHL level, I see you're a little bit more brave with that kind of thing because the skill level is is obviously as elite as it gets. But, again, I, that's just not working. And teams are defending that so well that I think you're you're wasting your opportunity for shots on net 
And then when you don't connect on that, because you've got two guys down low trying to create a chance or a three-on-one and you're three guys down low, it makes for an easy opportunity to go the other direction. And that's where teams are starting to, you know, get a break the opposite way and wind up with a goal. So I, I, I wish players, and I know this doesn't sound very popular, but I wish they were a little more selfish about this and, and we're like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm getting, if I hang on to this, I, I, I'm going to get a better chance for my team. Yeah. That's why, you know, I like a guy like an Adam Beckman in um, Iowa, you know, that guy, that guy has never met a shot that he a shot opportunity that he didn't like. So I wish there were guys a little more greedy like that. And I, and I, Kaprizov has had a decent start to the season, but I just feels like he just, Something just hasn't been there yet with him. I don't think his – I just wish he was shooting a little more. And I you wonder if tomorrow night you're going to see a little bit of a shakeup of the lineup with – I know it's never seemed to work. You know, they tried shaking up the Lions last year, and it, it always ends up back to Hartman, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov. But you got to wonder if – if Dean Evanson is going to look at trying to shake things up just to try to get these guys to get a different mentality, maybe a breakup um, in Zuccarello and Kaprizov. I know those guys are as tight as can be, but, and you know, that was good to see Zuccarello get a goal. I believe, I think his was the one that was called off due to the, due, due to the off and off sides, but it was good to see him get a goal. I think he had, he had one that counted and one that didn't count, so that that's a good sign there. So, but you know, I've seen in the past where the Wild will have a power play, and Nico Koivu, for all he brought to Minnesota, he was a guy. If, if it was on the Wild, if Wild were on the power play and Koivu was out there, he knew Koivu was going to pass. Same thing when they had Mikhail Granlund. You could play off of those guys because you know they're not going to take the shot. They're going to try to find somebody else, and you just let, you like to see guys just get a little more greedy, get a good shot and go, get a rebound, go in there and dig for it, yep. get in bloody nose alley, make it happen. That's what I'm talking about. I'd like to see that a little bit more in the action for sure. Well, Kevin, let's. Uh... With a big east, northeast kind of trip out there, how about a uh, – do we have a northeast story that we have uh, from Minnesota Wild history? I do not, but I do have a story that I guess it involves the northeast a little bit because the very first Frozen Four I went to – there were teams from New Hampshire and Maine in the Frozen Four, and Minnesota defeated Maine to win the national championship in 2002. I say that because tonight I just purchased my ticket for the NCAA Frozen Four coming up next um, spring. That's going to be played in St. Paul at Excel Energy Center. So we're hoping to see a repeat where Minnesota finally wins another Frozen Four championship. and. Who knows? There'll probably be a couple teams from out east paying a visit. Well, right on. I'm glad to see Kevin's Kevin's already thinking championship college hockey <laughs> at, at this point 
and we haven't even hit November. So that, that's that's pretty cool. I'm liking that a lot. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Kevin, uh, thanks for joining me this week, and we'll see what the, what the week holds ahead here for the Wild organization. Yes, folks, hopefully uh, we have better news next week. Amen to that, brother. 